show number 22, yes, regular numbers again, of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. So the thing that I liked most about this hotel is the shower. I was thinking (laughs) that. Because, um, for one thing, it's big, and it had a lot of hot water, but so... Stepping into it, I, I immediately felt like it was the sex shower. And I think it's interesting that they put sex showers in a hotel like this, which seems to be more for business travelers. And families. And families and stuff. So um, it, imagine this. It's a really big shower. It has that nice um, um, handicapped rail thing that you can hold on to, which is also really good for sex so that mm-hmm. you don't slip and kill yourself. Mm-hmm. The shower head was really high, which yes. is good. And that means if there's two people in there, then you both get wet and one of you's not all cold and soapy. Plus, that always happens. It has the peekaboo shower curtain. The peekaboo shower curtain. For filming the PG version. Yeah. Of the hot shower sex. Yeah. So it's kind of a shower curtain that just pretty much just keeps the water from spilling onto the floor. It doesn't give you any privacy because most of it is see-through. No, really only the top part. It's like see-through from the shoulders up. Uh, uh, well, on me it was oh, more like... that's true. <laughs> the girls Being were, were on display. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, but I like this For me it show. was showers, shoulders up. So if I was you know, in there with someone of maybe equal height to me, or mm-hmm. a guy, who cares if we're seeing his boobs, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So I like the PG fuck scene. <laughs> so welcome to show twenty-two of Look at His Butt, and uh, we've been looking at his butt and, and looking at wonderful things, listening to wonderful things. Has been. We're, we're wrapping up Basscon. It's Sunday, and um, the con so fabulous it takes at least two shows <laughs> or more or more. <laughs> All the jam-packed surprises. We couldn't jam into a show, so they just had to be surprises. It was, everything. And you haven't even seen the last surprise that I had. Oh, I know. I've been waiting all weekend. Um, So we've been having a wonderful time, and hope you've been enjoying all the interviews that we've been putting up with these wonderful writers. Really wonderful writers and wonderful friends and people that we just cannot get enough of hanging out with. Um, and, and that's the best part of going to a con, you know, I was kind of thinking about it, and um, for me, cons now are really about just hanging out with people. It's been that way for me for several years, you know, since we pretty much stopped actually officially attending mm-hmm. BassCon because we weren't interested in the panels, and uh, and so it just became a big, long room party for yeah. us. And what was interesting to me was last night when I was, um, you know, scamming the drinks and was in the drink <laughs> scam line and ran into Sunbeam and Liz, and we were talking. Uh-huh. And I was saying, so, you know, how's the con, how have the panels been? Because uh-huh. they actually were going to things. They said, you know, they're, they're lame. They're, they're not well organized, as opposed to the Shoreleaf panels, mm-hmm. which they had been to and I was at many years ago, which are moderated cons. Mm-hmm. There's like a purpose. There's somebody keeping on track. And and this really, this con really is about a bunch of people just sort of getting mm-hmm. together in a semi-organized way. We've just taken it a step further by ignoring the con and just saying, we know people we like are in town this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm very happy with this. I hope we can do this for the next 20 years. I think so. I hope so. Same room, probably, since we seem to get the same room every time we're That's here. That's right. This is our room. Oh, So, um, to just 
well, we'll get to some more BASCON stuff in a minute. There were a couple of, of short things that we wanted to talk about, um, just because there was some Shatner news that was happening. Okay. Um, one of them was, I think we might have mentioned this before, um, Shatner was inducted into the Broadcast Hall of Fame. Yes, he which was in was New York for that. Very exciting. Um, he also did an appearance on Howard Stern, which um, we have, but we don't have it in this format yet. But we will. But we will. But I want to talk about the New York Hall of Fame thing. Did did um, did I send you that article? I have it right here. Okay, great, I've got it great, open on great. The computer. Um, and so uh, he did a lot of publicity for it. Of course, mentioning Boston Legal. What what night is it on now? Tuesday at ten o'clock. Tuesday at ten ABC. o'clock. Yeah, William Shatner. Tuesday at ten o'clock. Boston ABC. ABC. Boston Legal. James Spader. He he said. Um, so there's a quote. I recognize that my time now is the most valuable thing I had, and I needed to be very judicious. This role was d- dangled in front of me. I just thought I'd do it for a limited amount of time. Um, producer David Kelly and I seem to be arriving at this character together, and in my experience, that's unique. I really enjoy problem solving, working on what the nuances are. And then about um, his character who has the mad cow, he says... Uh, Playing it is a fine line. I'm constantly thinking through, is this real enough or is this comic enough? Which is good. It's nice to see him just discussing the technique of his acting a little bit. It is because I always thought, you know, Bill has a very specific acting technique and the people who think he's not doing anything are so wrong Mm -hmm. because um, he's not one of those actors where you can see him acting, but you know that, that... thought has gone into it and analysis and he has he has thought about those scenes and thought about his character and who he is mm-hmm. and how to inhabit that not just show up and say the lines but actually inhabit that person's soul mm-hmm. and it, it shows in the performance i love hearing him talk about that yeah so and now he's in the broadcast hall of fame which is wonderful um he had one more quote about uh, the, which i thought was really nice for him to say and i'm not sure i'm sure he said things like this before Bill's really good at giving these pithy quotes now mm-hmm. because oh, he probably yes. has them written on his sleeve. Or in well, and he's card. been doing them for enough years. Yeah, so um, in talking about Star Trek, he says, uh, good writers are so rare, they're like diamonds. Any success I've had, it's been on the wings of that talent. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. That's that's really nice. Yes. You know, actors often don't recognize the writers that much, the mm-hmm. younger actors especially, because it's all about them, you know, right. and their personalities. But Bill knows better. Well, um... Still on this topic of the the Broadcast Academy Hall of Fame, whatever it's mm-hmm. called, um, he had a couple other interesting things to say that were in another article. Uh-huh. It was some article reporting on this event in general, not just Bill, but the other people who were also inducted, but saying everybody wants to talk to William Shatner. This is who they want to meet. And they went up to the other inductees and said, have you talked to William Shatner? And they all go, yeah, he's so cool. <laughs> God, I love him. But um, I... I, I I love this, this too. I think Bill is very happy in his marriage right now. And I think his wife seems like a lovely, mm-hmm. she is a beautiful woman, but she seems like a lovely person. And it's interesting that he's married to someone now who I think he has this interest of the horses and everything in common mm-hmm. with, which I don't think has been that true of his previous wives. But in his acceptance speech at this, part of it was he says, he was saying something about what will people remember about him. Mm-hmm. And he goes, they'll say, Shatner. Oh, yeah, he married Elizabeth. No! Oh, that was said really that? Wow. sweet. That is sweet. Oh, wow. So, congratulations, Bill. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, I also, someone sent this link to us. Uh, it was an interview that, that appeared in an English newspaper called The Metro. And they have a section that's called 60-Second Interview. So, this was very short. Um, 
And it seems like they're just starting to show Invasion Iowa in England. I yes. think that's why he did this. So yes, it is. It's talk- on there. Yeah, he's talking about Invasion Iowa. And, um, I'll put the link in. You can read it if you want to. But there are some really choice quotes in here that I wanted to call attention to. Um, so the interviewer says, you once played Alexander the Great. How does Colin Farrell's portrayal compare? Oh, wow. And Bill says, he was much blonder than me. Of course, we had the same chest and stomach muscles, but I can throw a spear farther. <laughs> he's so competitive. Jeez, jeez. I love you, Bill. <laughs> then, um, so he's talking about what he's doing for Trek right now, and he says, I'm write- writing two Star Trek books. He, I'm putting my fingers up in the air and making gigantic scare quotes around the world. Yes. Writing. 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 They're going to be about the adolescent Kirk and Spock before they joined the Navy, that they were badass teenagers. Maybe that's the possible future of Star Trek. With the passage of a little time, and by using something like the concept of these books, then that might bring Star Trek back. I think it needs a whole new approach, though, he said. Yep. That was good. So this is Kirk and Spock as as goth hoodlums? (sighs) I don't know. Basically, they're going to be like the sixth graders on South Park, right? (laughs) Something. Terrorizing little kids on their bicycles. That's, that's, well, okay, okay, Bill. Whatever. Um, We'll give you a pass on that one because you're Bill. So two more things. Um, Right at the end, the interviewer says, this is great, are you aware that a group of female fans write gay porn fiction about Kirk and Spock on the net? And the little, like... Um, description of his facial expression says baffled. I I I I. Looney Tunes noise. He's shaking his head and his eyes are rolling around, and he says, "This is so funny." The women write the stories. Really, I wasn't aware of anything like that happening. It's very exciting to hear that. <laughs> Well, maybe we should Bill, send him the story. You are such a fucking liar. So he can contribute to my urban legend. Oh, isn't that funny? He's getting very adroit at lying about he those things. He is. He really is. That's Be- a funny, funny quote. It is. Well, you know what else I find really funny? Because I had seen at least that portion of the interview before. It's posted somewhere. Uh-huh. Was um, that the the interviewee refers to it as what? Gay gay porn? porn gay porn fiction, yes. Gay porn fiction. And I thought, hmm. Isn't that interesting? Because I know there, there's always this ongoing debate in the slash world mm-hmm. or in the, the, the fanfic world that deals with sex. Um, what's the difference between porn and erotica? And I've always felt like slash is this polite term for mm-hmm. pornography. Sure. It is. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the pivotal part of the word pornography for me is graphy. <laughs> graphic. Yeah. If the sex is graphic... It's pornography, and I don't necessarily think that's bad. So I'm, I've written graphic sex, mm-hmm. and so I've written pornography. And I don't think that's bad, but I do think it's silly when we try to, to give these, these cute names sure. to it, like Slash and Spurk. Dress it up. Yeah. So we can take it out. No, but it's gay porn fiction. Bill and Leonard have both been aware of Slash for many years. Oh, They've yeah. been asked about it at cons. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's lying through his teeth, just like he is in that Howard Stern thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, don't we'll blow it, though, because okay. it's too funny. Okay. And then the final part of this little 60-second interview, the interviewer says, what are you working on right now? Bill says, I'm still doing Boston Legal, which I won a couple of awards for, he says. Right now, though, I'm selling you the idea that Invasion Iowa is a great show. You should watch it. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> the hardest working man in show business. Just, if Bill did it and it got filmed, he is going to make oh sure everybody Christ. he meets watches that show. Oh, he cracks me up. So there you go. Hey, thanks to whoever sent us that interview because I'd heard about it. I'd seen the one yeah. quote. 
but I had not um, encountered yeah, the full. It was interview. very funny. He's That's such a great funny guy. Okay, so um, let's take a little break and do our, our normal introduction stuff, and then we're going to talk about a couple other Shatner things that we watched over the weekend, and maybe a little bit more about Secrets of a Married Man. I thought there were a couple things we needed to say. Okay. About that. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Okay, gang, you know the drill. Send us email at lookathisbutt at gmail.com. Leave comments at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. We want to hear from you, and you know we're going to read your email on the show. This entire podcast recorded on an Apple PowerBook with GarageBand. The Sci-Fi Podcast Network has collected together some of the best science fiction, fantasy, and gaming podcasts out there. The Sci-Fi Podcast Network has a lot of great programming that you might be missing. The goal of this podcast is to showcase some of the great shows available on the network so that you don't miss out on all the fun. Each episode will contain an interview with a TSFPN podcaster and clips from their show. I'll also play some of the fun, funny, and cool clips from some of the other TSFPN shows from this week. To start listening to TSFPN Sci-Fi Access, just visit tsfpn.com. So we're recording this on Sunday, and um, I went to the IMDb just to look something up, and they always have a poll, mm-hmm. and the poll today says, Patrick Stewart or William Shatner? Gee, that is such a tough question. You know, it doesn't even say, but the, the funny For thing what? is, it doesn't say anything. All it says is, Patrick Stewart or William Shatner. So it's still Kirk versus Picard. It is. It really is. And since we're not registered, we didn't vote, but I, I think you know. <laughs> Which way our vote would go. Nothing against Patrick Stewart, but, you know. Anyway, um, so we watched um, some, well, first of all, we watched Secrets of a Married Man, the very bad TV movie. With Sybil se- Shepard. With Sybil Shepard, several times. But I actually saw the thing in its entirety twice in one day. You were out buying Chinese food for yeah. a good part of the second one. Yeah. So I saw it twice because we had extra people in the room uh-huh. then who had never seen it. Mm-hmm. So there were new, fun observations. So why don't you tell me about some of the stuff you picked up? Well, that we may not two. have mentioned on the show. In that first opening scene, this this sex scene, and honestly, the first time you see that, where the movie just starts out with him kissing this woman's shoulders and mm-hmm. it's it's very hot it's very very hot but there's also some really lovely kirk light mm-hmm. in that scene mm-hmm. um so you want to check that out also there are two scenes and i'm trying to think what one of them is where i think he's pulling his pants on and you can actually see 
butt in mm -hmm. side view. You're not looking full mm -hmm. on at cheek, but you can see that. But also this is bizarre scene where, of course, he's been hanging out with hookers, so he, you know, gets a social disease or thinks he has. He's great shower scene where he looks <laughs> down and there's this, oh my God, like his dick just fell <laughs> off and is going down the drain. Which is what we said when yeah, we were watching. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so the next scene, of course, he's at the doctor's office and this doctor apparently has McCoy sort of medical technology because the scene starts and the d doctor has just finished his exam of the appendage in question. And he says to him, like, okay, you can get dressed or you can pull up your pants. Bill's got his shirt on. And so Bill's pulling up his pants. As he pulls up his pants, you know, his shirt goes up a little. Uh -huh. And you can see his underwear. Mm -hmm. So the doctor has managed to diagnose this problem without Bill ever even getting his dick out of his underwear. Uh -huh. But it can't get through pants. Maybe it's the zipper, the metal <laughs> throws it off, the, the magical scanner this doctor has. But it can't get through cotton underwear. Well, here's what I think. Um, yes, what is that? I, I really think that um, this was the kind of doctor, like he, he's like Dr. Um, Nick Riviera on The Simpsons. <laughs> Hi, like, Dr. Hi, Nick. everybody. <laughs> you know, he's in the Hollywood upstairs medical building, and he's the kind of guy that you look him up in the yellow pages, and it's like, it says, got VD? <laughs> <laughs> like, got milk? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So you go to him and you, you know, you kind of crawl into his office and you tell him and, he, and you know, he was sort of a gruff guy and, and you're like, oh, well, there's something happening with my dick and, and <laughs> you know, describing the symptoms and there's a little green and all that. And the doctor's like, look, I don't need to see that shit. <laughs> Pull up your pants. Here's a prescription for penicillin. Just try to keep it safe from now on. And that's it. And that's all you have to do. And you give him 50 bucks and okay. it's all over. I beg to differ because <laughs> you don't know this about me. I oh. have experience in that situation, but not the way you'd think. Okay. Many years ago, I was a registration clerk at a county hospital. Uh-huh. And so people came in there for everything. You know, they were in accidents or whatever. Uh -huh. But most, um, not mostly, but many of the people who came in were on the state medical aid. So this was where they could go for anything. They had the mm -hmm. sniffles. And so we did register people who, you know, normally would have been crawling into a slimy private doctor's office, but they could get it for free at the county hospital. And I had a guy sit down there once, and we, even though we weren't medical people, had to say, what's your problem? Mm -hmm. So then they could be shuffled to the right part of the, the hospital. And so they had to tell us, even though we weren't medical people. And they were embarrassed. Of course. Of course. <laughs> and I had a guy sit there. I said, you know, what's the problem? And he kind of looks around, and then he goes like this. I have the... He really did that? Yep. Clapped wow. his hands. Wow. Okay. Wow. But this is the point of my story. <laughs> yes. These doctors in a fully staffed hospital with all kinds of equipment, even though the patient told them he had the... Uh-huh. Still had to look at the problem. Oh. All right. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Even, maybe Dr. Nick doesn't, oh. but all the other ones with real medical degrees have to at least look at the problem and see if it really is falling off. Right, okay. Okay. I, okay. Okay. I actually said that. That was just my rationalization for why that scene happened. <laughs> kind of like Gary Mitchell's it. foot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Well, no, it was good. It was a good try. Yeah. I like the McCoy explanation I, I, better. I'm trying to think what else there was going on in, in uh, Secrets of a Married Man that we wanted to talk about some oh. more. 
I don't know. I I, I can't it was remember. Such a bad movie. It's it's a terrible movie. That you know what was really weird? Mm-hmm. It went a lot faster the second time. You know, I was noticing that myself. Yeah, we kind of the first time I was just dying for it to end. Yes. Like, please be over. Please be over. Please be over. <laughs> please, please. <laughs> And, yeah, it did seem to go faster. Maybe it was because there were more people in the room and we were sort of doing our MST riffing. And That's true. That's true. We there. did have a lot of fun with that. Yeah. So. <laughs> we're going to put up some good caps. Yeah. Um, so then we watched two other things. We watched um, a very young Shatner in uh, an episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Mm-hmm. What year was that, please? Um, that year was... Uh, April 10th, 1960. Wow, I didn't even think it was that old. That's amazing. It was shown on CBS. Mm-hmm. It was Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and it was an episode called Mother, May I Go Out to Swim? swim. Um, the thing about Shatner was that he was so young looking and so thin. We both noticed that. He had an hourglass figure. Oh, my goodness, just totally skinny. Uh huh. Yeah. It was, I swear they had to put extra notch holes in that belt. I think so. Um, the other thing about that, besides him being astoundingly skinny, was that he was astoundingly gay. Oh, my God. He was so gay. Oscar Wilde only wished he was that gay. And that good-looking. And that good-looking, yeah. Because he was playing a mama's boy. Yeah. He had a very controlling mother, and it was this this Billy Burkish sort of weird woman mm-hmm. who uh, was the controlling mother. And she played that role in many things. We saw her in so many things. And her name was Jessie something something. Oh, I would have three, to. Three name Yeah. And he was just playing it so gay. At one point, remember, he lit two cigarettes and gave one to Mother. <laughs> to have after breakfast. After breakfast, which, of course, was after sex. Yeah. And he was getting really cozy with he Mom. Was. He was. He was snuggling up with her and rubbing his cheek against her. And, and kissing, kissing her, her more than the script required. Because you could tell she was kind of like, <gasps> you don't need to do it four times in the scene. And, Twice. And well. we were sort of joking that they were playing it at this very... Um, uh, What's the word? Edible. Well, <laughs> edible was the word. That's not what I'm searching for here. But um, the, this this very false pitch, you know, <gasps> like very very fake and, and laughing in a, in an, a horribly overplayed Noel Cowardish way. Like <laughs> yes, and <laughs> hey, <I'm> my <laughs> They were talking so fast at the beginning. It's reminding me them. of every time I've watched the movie The Women, which I love. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen it ten, twelve times now. And every time I watch it, in the first half hour, I catch a little more of the dialogue. But they are talking so fast that you have to tune your ears to it. And you miss a lot of exposition. And it didn't help that the the mother's talking in this fakey British accent. It's not really British. It's more like upper class. Oh, darling, I've just longed for you to get married. And it's, well, it's what they call a mid-Atlantic accent. Okay. Because it's people who don't sound like they're from England, but mm-hmm. they don't sound like they're from America. Right, right. So they live somewhere right in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. So talking just like that, and both of them talking a mile a minute, and all this plot stuff's going by, and we're like, what, 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 what? And every now and then they both, oh, my man. bizarre um and he falls in love with a german girl and mm-hmm. um mummy is completely against that and um there were many <laughs> there were several scenes where the, the the mother and the the girlfriend are talking to each other and sniping and and compelled us to end every sentence with bitch <laughs> <laughs> there's also he takes this girl on their first date where they have the getting to know you conversation and really if you are going to get to know someone it's kind of important you hear what they're saying right so the first date usually consists either of long silences because this is a terrible first date, or uh, you're talking a lot. Right, it's a good first date, but like in a car or a restaurant or a long walk, or right. something like that. So they went to a, a waterfall. waterfall. <laughs> 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 Poor 
imagining them saying, shouting at each other. No, oh, I went to school in Cleveland. <laughs> what? <laughs> you went to the pool? <laughs> what? It was very, very bizarre. Oh, so that was that was pretty amusing. Plus, they went to the waterfall where you know there's spray. And they, they didn't get wet. wet. And I know. really, we need to see wet Shatner butt, especially in some of oh. these early things. And uh, at one point, somebody falls over the edge of, not the waterfall, but like the hill that's next to the waterfall. <laughs> and okay, I know, Alfred Hitchcock presents, 1960, no budget. But the dummy that they threw down a hill was possibly one of the worst dummies that I'd ever seen. Not only was it not life-size, you could tell it was small, probably like, I don't know, Barbie doll size. Yeah. But it didn't and they threw it down a little mountain they made mountain. in their kid's sandbox. And it didn't have any facial features or anything, or hands or feet. It just looked like one of those artist <laughs> model posy dolls that somebody just tossed. It looks like a con that's gone on for 36 hours where they were all playing with their dolls, and this is where they end up, boom, you know, and just in this everything awry sort of position and left there. So I don't think we can recommend that. No. Unless you want to see him looking beautiful. He, which is, is, looking, you know, he is looking beautiful. Which is nice. I want to quickly um, backtrack because I thought of a couple things about Secrets of Married Men. Oh, please. We need to point out. Yeah. No underwear. Except in the one scene That's where right. you see underwear. That's right. Because he's wearing pants where everything is swinging and, and happy. So you want to see it for that. Yeah. And it also features um, something that I think many, many movies need. Which is? <laughs> The exposition police. Oh, that's right. The exposition police. <laughs> In the middle of the movie, he's leaving his hooker, mm-hmm. and these this cop car pulls out, and one jumps out and says, "Can we see your ID? What's your name? Mm-hmm. Where do you live?" And he's interrogating him. Meanwhile, the other guy's going, "You know that girl you've been seeing? Yeah, her name's Elaine. Ha, Elaine. That's not her name. She tells you that's her name, and she's going to hit you for all the money." And he explains the whole plot. <laughs> And then they send him on his way. And that's it. And they just leave. I like the idea of the exposition police. They're just, you know, you're driving along in your car. They pull you over. And it's like, sorry, sir, we need to update you on the plot. And they just tell you whatever it is you need to know. And then they leave. I want them in my life. I want them in my life. And I'm picturing them sitting in the donut shop looking at their watches and going, Okay, what do you think? It's time for an info dump? Yeah, we got to go make an info dump. And out they go. And they, they accost some stranger. And they tell them, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. So thanks for mentioning that. I'd forgotten. But they're, yeah, they were the exposition. They're movies. good. <laughs> they were really good. Okay, oh, moving forward. Moving forward. So we watched something else. Now, uh, we talked about this a little bit before, and I think I finally understand what it is. Um, there was Night Gallery, and there was The Sixth Sense. Okay. okay. At some point, they were two different shows, but Sixth Sense started as segments of Night Gallery. And was later kind of spun off into its own thing. You are so right. That's what happened. I remember that. Now. Okay. So the one that we saw was when it was still part of Night Gallery, and this was um, 1972. Yes, it was uh, March 23rd again on oh, ABC. Hey, that was the day after Bill's birthday, and right yeah. before mine. Um, so we watched this. <laughs> this one was called Death of. No, this. I'm sorry. Oh, you have to say what you said. What the the Alfred Hitchcock Presents was called, right? It was called uh, Mother May I Go Out to Swim. I'm okay. sorry. This was was shown uh, February 26, 72, oh, okay. and it was called Can a Dead Man Strike from the Grave? Right. So, um, interestingly, uh, Shatner was in it. He wasn't actually in it that much. No. He was sort of there. It was written by Gene L. Kuhn. Yes. One of the star, one of the best Star Trek writers. He was uh-huh. also the story editor. I noticed in the credits there were a couple other Star Trek folks who worked on it who were just in the, the industry. And... Um, 
we watched it with several other people, and none of us could understand what was going on. It was a completely incomprehensible plot. And and it needed exposition, please. Who never showed they up? They never showed up. And the wrap-up at the end left us all going, well, well, then who the hell was the dead ghost in the attic? You didn't explain that at all. No. And this sort of evil Peggy Cass character that we were all pinning as the villain sort of faded into she the woodwork. She wasn't even in the end, yeah. And so Shatner's living in this house with his wife, but they don't share a bedroom. And then there are other people who are in the house who sort of pop up from time to time, but yeah. we don't know who they are or why they're there. And the Peggy Cass character, like, did she live there or did she just work there with him? I don't know. She's like somebody's secretary, his secretary. Was it? I don't know. And then there was... Um, like you said, these other people who popped up and a woman who was giving piano lessons. And I really think, is she in the credits you looking at MDB? She looked a lot to me like Madeline Sherwood. Oh, I'll check. But then I'm thinking, and I'm not sure, you know. But anyway, uh, what must be pointed out is Bill has huge, gigantic Paradise Syndrome sideburns. (laughs) sideburns. <laughs> they rival Mike Nesmith's sideburns, frankly, yeah, yeah. at the end of the month. And, you know, the bad 70s shirts. Everybody's in bad 70s clothes, because oh, it was the bad 70s. It was, it was. And this is an amazing thing that happened this weekend. I think we saw, in the course of this mm-hmm. weekend, Bill's two worst toupees. Oh, it was so bad. And what did Sunbeam say he looked like? Oh, he had a Neil Diamond thing going on. Yeah, which yeah, was in com- this. Yeah, it was a combination of the sideburns and the hair, which was kind of long in the back, and then the the side part that kind of went halfway back on his head. Yeah. Ooh. It was bad. It was bad. And the other bad toupee was in Secrets of a Married Man, and it's hard to describe it. It does look like upholstery glued to his head. Oh. And it's kind of an Albert Brooks thing. <laughs> Sort of. It's it's really bad, and it's 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 almost like this toupee. It's like it's a, it's a squatter. It has moved in on his head and is living there, but it's not invited. It doesn't have permission. It doesn't have a lease, but it's just sort of there. And Bill hasn't figured out how to remove it yet. So let's see. Nineteen seventy-two would have been um, how many years after Star Trek? Three. Three years it after went Star Trek. went off in 68, 69, so like four years. So um, in that time, I guess, he lost the toupee that he stole from Trek. Mm-hmm. Because he would have worn it, right? Right. You would think so, which is a shame. It's a shame that he lost it because it was a good one. And my significant other, who is who has wonderful hair, but hates toupees and is always on the bad toupee patrol. He's always pointing out bad toupees to me in movies, um, you know, people on the street and everything. We were watching Star Trek once, and we were commenting on the toupee, and he went, that's not his real hair. And this is a person who spends a lot of time wondering wow. who's got their real hair on. That's that's pretty good. It, that's a beautiful toupee. It is. I'm, I'm looking for the cast listing. I want to talk for a minute, though, about it. the subject of hair. What the fuck has happened to hair technology? Because I was watching something the other night, it, you know, just cruising across it, and it was a little retrospective. On Bing Crosby, mm-hmm. who's a performer I've always enjoyed. It was doing his whole career. And there were a lot of shots of him, film clips and everything, when he was performing for the troops in World War II, mm-hmm. when he was rehearsing things, and he didn't have his toupee on. And I've also seen pictures of Fred Astaire without his toupee, mm-hmm. Gary Cooper without his toupee. So we know they were wearing them mm-hmm. in the movies. Mm-hmm. And those toupees, which were built in 1930... <laughs> Do not look as bad as almost every toupee and wig you see on female actresses. And I'm thinking, is it the lighting? Is it the way they're making these things? 
they look so fake, and they don't look fake in these old things. No, I, I think I agree with you, and I was always um, astonished by people who had really good ones, and I, I would say Carl Reiner, um, who always has a wonderful toupee, but he, he uses it like a hat, right? He yeah, yeah. Them, he, <laughs> Hi, how you doing? He dips his toupee. He does. He would do them on the show, then, but it looked really good. Um, Remember the, the the Dick Van Dyke show where Alan Brady had all the toupees oh, yeah. lined up in that wonderful scene with Laura? Yeah, yeah it was great. And um, Jack Klugman, another guy who had a great toupee uh-huh. when he was wearing it. But I agree with you. I think that there is some resistance to um, the, the defined hairline because... That's when when you see toupees a lot of the times they they just don't look right in the front and mm-hmm. maybe they just don't want to go through the the trouble of you know using the spirit gum or whatever it is that they have to tape it down but I think it, those toupees looked wonderful. <laughs> Another person who has a toupee that isn't so wonderful but has a really funny toupee mm-hmm. story is Charles Nelson Riley. Oh really? The oh, queeniest of uh-huh, all queens. Uh-huh. And I saw him on a talk show once talking about a show or, or an experience with his toupee, and he never came out and said, I'm gay and all my friends are gay. But you knew it from the story because he was saying he, it was a party. It was at his house or something. A lot of Hollywood types were there. And because they're all out, you know, together and everything, they're all dressed and they have their toupees. And he goes, but at the end of the evening when it's just down to, to me and my friends, there we are all sitting around in a circle talking in our caftans. <laughs> Holding our toupees and scratching our heads because that stuff itches. <laughs> That's really funny. That is very, very funny. So I, I just like have that this, idea. this wonderful mental image. No doubt eating ice cream. Yeah, and in their caftans. And, and drinking Kahlua. Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. Well, I have to say that the um, the hair that he has in Boston Legal is good hair. Mm-hmm. It looks really good. He's been using that hair... Um, sort of in his public appearances as well. Now, do you think that is, is, as you say, using that hair, is that a toupee or is it now plugs? It, it's, it's so short for a toupee. It is, but um, that... Sorry, I'm losing my train of thought here, which is... Toupees, plugs. Plugs. I don't think it's plugs because by this time, I think he probably has no hair left on the top of his head. Mm-hmm. and. There's quite a bit of hair on his head right now. And to have that many plugs on your head, that seems like too much. Oh, it's very vain. Well, that's true. Um, there um, there are, I have to backtrack now for a second and say there have been some good toupees that don't really look like toupees, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. One of them is Steve Martin. Oh, is he wearing a toupee? And if you look at his hair, it looks like it's thinning, mm-hmm. but it still looks like it's natural. Like when Alan Brady had the one, so people would say, Alan, you need a haircut. Exactly. Alan, you're losing your hair. Exactly. It's exactly like that. So so, so people who have this, do they have hair calendars that tell them, okay, this is the Probably. point where you've got to, to switch to the the slightly thinner toupee, I think so. and in three years. So, so there's a whole, a whole area of, of toupees that are like, so Steve Martin is one, Bruce Willis is another one, oh, who has yeah. these toupees that make him look like it's just kind of thinning in the front, but yes. none of that is real. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right, yeah, because you've seen him. I mean, he's done roles without it. Yeah, yeah. And he's very open about that. You and know? Um, and I, I heard also um, the guy who was on Max Headroom, Matt Frewer, who also had mm-hmm. like very thinning, but I heard that that was all just fake. Yeah. Fake thinning. So while we're on the subject of hair and toupees. <laughs> I'm not wearing a toupee. This me is my neither. real hair. This is my real hair. Um, actress I love, Laura Linney. Uh-huh. That can't be her real hair. <laughs> It looks so much like a wig in every single movie. If you look at where it supposedly meets the hairline. Uh, it could be. It's like, Laura, you get a better one then. 
It could be. I think a lot of actresses wear wigs. Well, they do, and um, Ann Miller, you know, had a huge wig collection, and she talked about why even actresses who had beautiful, wonderful hair mm-hmm. wore wigs for stage, for filming, because first of all, the time of sitting there while your hair is dressed is wasted time, yeah, certainly on the set. For your hair, but also, right? the the hot lights and everything are so bad for your hair. Yeah, yeah. So, so a lot of them wear it for performing. But again, I'm going. You know, get a good one. They have the money for it. Yeah, and and there is the technology. It exists. And you hair. know, I was in a show once where I had, um, like a hair piece on top of my own hair so my mm-hmm. own hair was sort of woven into it and uh and some friends came by after the show to see me and what they were astonished by was they said you know that looks so fabulous on stage <laughs> on stage under the lights uh-huh. it matches your hair color <laughs> and in real life it didn't look like that at all but like you expect lighting makeup people you know, the actors themselves mm-hmm. to be aware of these things. And I remember being concerned when I put it on. I said, this doesn't match. You're going under the lights. Believe me, it's great. And I got that validation. Yeah. So what's going on? I don't know. I, I think there's also um, um, part of a misunderstanding on the parts of actors um, thinking that the way that they look in their photo shoots is the way that they can look when they're walking around. Like, mm. sunlight doesn't look like studio lighting. And, and yeah. they make that mistake. They really do. Because you can see that they've made themselves up to look a certain way under those bright, bright lights. Yeah. And then they go out and they look like ghouls because the makeup is just bad. I saw a picture of Sylvester Stallone recently, mm-hmm. who clearly had been made up for some photo shoot or something. But he was in, it was like a cocktail party where there was normal lighting. And I swear, he looked like he was dead. You know, um... When you do photo shoots, they always do Polaroids first. Mm-hmm. And part of that is they don't want to waste all this film, mm-hmm. real film, if the makeup looks bad under yeah, the lights, yeah. when it's shot. And I remember once reading an article about a woman who worked at a magazine, and it was a woman's magazine. They periodically did makeovers. And she was just thrilled because finally she was the one chosen to have the makeover. Mm-hmm. And so she went. They make you over for a photo shoot. Yeah. And so, you know, they did her hair and they did her makeup and they did these photos and she looked gorgeous. She was like, oh, hooray, I'm glamorous. She called her husband, called her friends. Come on, we're going and out. And said, who are these pictures of? <laughs> no, she went out that night with her oh. friends and husband and they were all like, we don't want to be with you. You look you look garish. You look horrible. You look like a cartoon. And yeah. she was thinking she looked like the photos. So yeah. You're right. Yeah, I think that that's part of what the problem is. Yeah. Did I ever show you my gallery of hair? All the pictures of me with different hair. Yes! Oh, I was telling someone about that the other day. I mean, I think that um, people just, you know, hair grows back. <laughs> it grows. So yes. you, people should feel more free to experiment with it and not be so worried about it, you know. You know, I was a blonde once. Were you really? Yep. When, mm. I, when I was in college, I was a blonde for a month. And what did you think? Um, uh, my personal opinion... I did not look as bad as blondes as some people do uh-huh. as blondes because um, it wasn't that bad with my skin, and many people go blonde when they don't have the skin for mm-hmm. it. But the whole idea of doing the touch-ups was like, oh, oh what a nightmare. What? A, no, I'm not, not doing this at all. So it lasted um, for about one month until mm-hmm. it was time to do a touch-up, and there's one one photograph. That's funny. I'd like to see it. My mom was a blonde for a little while. This is like 1947. <laughs> And that was a very special kind of blonde it, it in 1947. Absolutely was. She looked so cool with that. My, my mom has very dark eyebrows, though, so she had the like white blonde hair and these black eyebrows. She's was, ahead of her time. It was That's great. what they all do it was now. So, great. so then when I dyed my hair like white blonde, it was no big deal to her. Uh-huh. She was like, yeah, those roots, 
That's <laughs> gonna. You're gonna get sick of that really fast. Really fast. <laughs> I had one friend though who was so religious about keeping her roots up that nobody knew she wasn't real blonde. Wow. And and she she had gorgeous hair, and you'd think doing that much to your hair would ruin yeah. it, but she I don't know she was really taking care of it. But eventually, after I don't know four or five years, she said this is too much, mm-hmm. and gave up. Obviously, I'm a quitter much before that. <laughs> Oh, well, that was an interesting discussion. And, yeah, let's bring, bring it back to Bill. He was gorgeously blonde in he White was. Comanche. He was very blonde. Looked good. Surfer dude. But not as... Um, not as he, blonde. As, I was going to say Colin Farrell. Did he yes. say... Yeah. yeah. Okay. He was blonder. So let's take a little break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to do one more thing to round out the whole Bascon experience. Um, and I'm going to read a story. And uh, there's a couple things I need to explain before I read it, so we'll, we'll come back. Okay. Sex. 50 bucks. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for our next magical trick. <laughs> Good evening, ladies and germs. <laughs> um, so I'm going to read a story. And I want to say something about the story. Oh, go ahead. Say it. I love this story. <laughs> this story, I don't care what you say, this story is written as a gift for me. It was. It was. It's, it's a gift of friendship. It was inspired because um, I had read some other stories that were very bad that sort of revolved around the same pairing. And, and they were horrible. They were just <laughs> awful. And, and, and I was ranting about them on the news group and became a point of, well, fuck, you can do it better than this. So You absolutely can. So I thought about it for a long time, and then I decided to go ahead and write this story. And this is sort of the, uh, the this pairing is the elephant in the room of Star Trek. It is. It's always there. Nobody talks about it. It's the pairing that dare not speak its name. <laughs> but you had the guts to, to drag it out into the daylight and do a wonderful <sighs> job with it. So, oh. Hit it, honey. Okay. I, I just want to explain one thing. Um, there's a, a name that pops up in here, and that name is Suzanne Brandt, um, who is a character that I, um, JK graciously allowed me to use. She's not actually in the story, but there are references to she her in there. And it's important to know that she's also a captain, and that she and Kirk have been buddies since the Academy, and they've had an on-and-off relationship. I mean, I don't know when this story is supposed to take place. But. And I don't think it's even important that you know that they have this a relationship sexual or not just know she's a captain she's a female captain yeah, in Starfleet that's it's right. really all you need to know that's right um, who has a ship and and I also wanted to say that um, there are these things called gel stones <laughs> that you and <laughs> that's mockery that, no <laughs> you invented them and the very first time I read it in a story, I was like, what's this word? Gel you thought it was I, a typo. I thought it was a typo, but it wasn't a typo. Those are gel stones. Now, the really funny thing is, the first time we came to this hotel, we're checking in in the lobby, and they have a dish that they have pens standing up in that are filled with these stones that are clear, and they look like they're made from jello. And we went, they're gel stones! And they're, they're blue, and they're beautiful. They're and I, beautiful. I, I put them in a story, and Lane was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> And the nice thing is, in keeping up with tradition, every time we come to this hotel, the gel stones are still there. Yeah, they are. We, we saw it. them, and we were very happy about okay. that. Okay. All right. Now hit it. Now I'm going to try to read this story, and uh, let's, let's just see how it goes. 
So the story's called Rank Privilege. <sighs> okay. The six gel stones were perfect. Perfectly blue, perfectly round, and perfectly warm in Kirk's hand. They also made perfectly musical pings as they spilled from his palm onto the floor and rolled away into six different dark corners of his cabin. Damn it, he thought. That didn't help. Oh, fudge, he said quietly. <laughs> nope, no good. Damn it, Kirk shouted. There, that was a little bit better. Now what? He could call Rand and ask her to crawl around on the floor and find the little buggers, but then he'd have to explain to her why he had opened the presentation box in the first place. Probably better to deal with this personally. No job too big or too small for this, Captain. Sighing, he got down on his knees and began to search the cabin, quadrant by quadrant. There was one by the door. The exquisitely carved box had come directly from Ambassador Sarek with instructions not to open it until Kirk gave it to the Kefarians during the welcoming ceremony tomorrow. Since Sarek himself could not attend, Kirk had the less-than-thrilling job of introducing everyone, handing over the little ebony box, and reciting the stilted words he'd spent an hour memorizing. Ceremony. What fun! The gift of the gelstones was a grand opening gesture by the Federation in these trade negotiations, and it needed to go off like clockwork. He thought of Manhattan and wondered if the Kefarians knew that these were worth a whole lot more than $24. Another one cowering behind the foot of his chair. The left side of his brain said that he'd looked in the box to make sure they hadn't been damaged in transit or stolen or something. The right side knew he'd looked just because he'd never seen this type of stone up close before, and once he had the box open, the little blue spheres seemed to want him to take them out of the dark. Kirk had suddenly wanted to know what it felt like to hold a king's ransom in the palm of his hand. They were curiously warm, as if heated from within, like tiny stars. That was part of their legend and their appeal. But nobody had told him how frickin' slippery they were. Number three had rolled behind his plant, and number four was wedged between the wall and the leg of the desk. He slid under the desk, reaching out to grasp it gently between thumb and forefinger so as not to damage it, and... Captain Kirk? Spock's voice came from directly above, causing him to jerk up and smack his head on the underside of the desk. Hard. Good to know I can hear the intercom down here, he thought, stifling a groan. Captain, Spock said again. Kirk hauled himself off the floor and carefully put the four little beauties back in their box. Kirk here, he replied wearily. Would you care to play chess this evening, Captain? Thursday night, their usual play date. <laughs> Thanks, but not tonight, Spock. I have a headache. He rubbed the top of his head gingerly. There was already a bump. Do you require medical assistance, Captain? Spock asked. Kirk could swear he was being teased. Not necessary, Spock. I just need some sleep. Big day tomorrow. Which will be a total snafu if I don't find the rest of the present. Understood. I will be at your cabin at 0800 hours to review the presentation ceremony with you. Spock out. The light on the intercom winked out, and it was back to hide-and-seek. As he crawled into his bedroom, he was aware of how strong the ship's vibration felt down here on the floor, that special resonance he'd come to recognize as unique to the Enterprise, a signature as distinctive as a woman's perfume or the sound of a lover's voice. He put his ear to the deck and listened. Scotty had reported that the engines weren't functioning at their maximum capacity lately, and the engineering staff hadn't figured out why, yet. As if the ship was tired, Scotty said. Vitamins, Kirk had replied, but he was concerned just the same. Now he could hear it, he thought, a slight weariness to her hum, a certain mournfulness in the low, constant rumble. I'm sorry, he thought. I've been neglecting you. When we're done with the Kefarians and their apples, I'll make sure you're tuned up from top to bottom. Those swabbies will work like demons. If you're happy, I'm happy. He found the fifth gelstone at the edge of his dresser, 
and out of the corner of his eye he glimpsed the sixth and last one under his bed. Oh, God, when was the last time he'd looked under the bed? Come to think of it, when was the first time? He gathered up his courage and dove in. Of course it rolled further away, even as he reached for it. He came up with a handful of dust and one blue marble which seemed to be laughing at him. Got you, you little bastard, he said triumphantly. The dust made him sneeze. What was the point of having a staff if they didn't make sure the cabins were clean? Where was the ship's floor buffer when you needed him? <laughs> oh, get over it, Kirk, he said aloud. The last time he'd cleaned his own cabin was just before he'd taken command of Lydia Sutherland, far too long ago. Captain Garavick had probably cleaned under his bed every day. He'd have to remember to ask Suzanne Brent if there was dust in her captain's quarters. He put the gems away in their box, locked the box in his desk, got a towel out of the bathroom, and began sweeping up a thick layer of dust under his sleeping area. There. Clean and clean. But there was a small area that seemed to be discolored. He got a portable light and shone it under the bed, and was amazed at what he found. Set into the flooring of the deck was a square the size of his hand, marked with the Starfleet emblem, the Enterprise symbol, and captain's stripes. Okay, that makes sense. It was his captain, after all. Kirk looked more closely and saw that, in fact, there was a faint depression in the square exactly the size of his hand. An ID system? The key to a lock? Had someone been stealing papers from his inbox again? Computer, he barked, sitting down at the very hard desk. Display schematic of my quarters. Zoom in on the sleeping area. The deck under the bed showed nothing, just a plain floor grid over the normal ship's infrastructure. Wait, there it was. A red dot on the screen. Nothing more, but in the same place. Computer, identify object at location D-789. The image accelerated toward him until it filled the screen. A big red dot. Restricted, the computer voice informed him. Specify. Access permitted to Captain James D. Kirk pending voice print identification and level 1 security code, it droned on. Kirk dutifully provided his code and sat back in the chair. On screen, the red dot slowly resolved into two words that glowed at him. Captain's privilege. If this is a joke, it's not funny, he said to the computer, which remained silent. He wondered briefly if it was possible for Gary Mitchell to have set up this as a little post-mortem prank. What on earth could that mean, Captain's Privilege? He racked his brain, trying to remember if he'd heard any jokes or rumors or even the slightest reference to the thing under the bed. But there was nothing, nothing at all. Computer, retrieve all information on Captain's Privilege. One entry, use reserved for Captain of the Enterprise only. Use. The professional tension Kirk had felt before, warning him against the possibility of a trap or some alien danger, were gone, replaced by a delicious anticipation. This thing, whatever it was, was there for him, and Starfleet knew about it. Maybe it was a present. He got down on the deck again and shone the light on the dark square, looking for symbols or marks or anything that would give him a clue. Nothing. He ran his fingers along the edge of the square, then over the slight depression in the center. Nothing happened. Well, here goes nothing. He pressed his hand firmly into the center, and his hand fit perfectly, so it had been made for him, waited a few moments, then removed it. Nothing happened. But just as he was about to call it a day, he heard a soft click from somewhere under the deck. The square slid back into a hidden recess, revealing another square of what seemed utter darkness. When he looked more closely, he realized it wasn't solid like a piece of decking. The surface seemed to move as if it was liquid. He got his tricorder and discovered that he was looking at a very small, very concentrated energy field. Now how could you use an energy field this tiny and in such a strange place? He went over to the he went over the tricorder readings again. The energy would be harmless if touched. It wouldn't interact negatively with anything in the cabin. And for the second time that day, he had the impression that an inanimate object wanted him to touch it.
Gingerly, he touched the tip of his finger to the surface of the square and watched it disappear into the blackness. Oh, it felt warm, welcoming, firm, tingling, wet, pulsating, alive. Oh, he withdrew his finger. It wasn't wet at all, but the cabin air felt cool on his skin, which was now a rosy pink. And just a little swollen. Hmm, what does that remind me of? He thought. <laughs> he looked at his finger, and he looked into the beckoning darkness. Oh, my. He remembered the words he'd spoken to Spock when the Psi 2000 virus had been in his bloodstream. Words that had given form to his feelings about his ship. His ship, and no one else's. I give, she takes, he'd said, and it was true. The captain's privilege was giving his ship everything. Kirk was suddenly aware that his erection was pressing uncomfortably against the front of his pants. This is crazy, Left Brain said to him. Just because it's there doesn't mean you have to do anything. You have a filthy mind. <laughs> she wants you, Rightside whispered. She wants you to do it. If it felt like that around your finger, just imagine what she can do for your Horatio Hornblower. <laughs> You guys are nuts. I'm out of here, Left Side said, and then it was very quiet in Kirk's mind. Taking a deep breath, he opened his trousers, pulled out his eager pink cock, and positioned himself over the square. He lowered himself slowly into the blackness, a reverse push-up, and the warm, welcoming, firm, tingling, wet, pulsating, living energy of the Enterprise surrounded his cock. The vibration of the ship was strong now against his cheek and the palms of his hands. He moved his hips, rocking gently, and by God, if it didn't feel like a cunt and a mouth and a hand and lime-flavored jello all at once, sucking at him, caressing, gripping him firmly, and encasing him in heat. Suddenly he felt a thrill, an arrow of pleasure straight up and into his groin, and he came explosively into the depths of, well, the depths of whatever it was he was fucking. He lay panting and gasping. What his, was it his imagination, or did her voice sound different now, quicker and happier? Yes, that was it. She was happy. With him. Good to know I still have it, he thought, and then laughed giddily at the very thought of telling someone, anyone, about his latest role in the Quadro Triticale. His cock was soft now, still tingling in that inky pool of energy. Never lose you. Never, he murmured to the deck. When he had rolled over, he laid very still for a while, letting himself relax, a thing which had not happened for a very long time. He heard the square slide shut, and when he looked at it, all was as it had been, and if you didn't know what you were looking at, you'd miss it. Tomorrow, he would start cleaning his own cabin. He shucked the rest of his clothes and sat naked at the very hard desk, wondering if this was the kind of thing you were supposed to put in your personal log. Just then, the intercom beeped. Scott here, Captain, just wanted you to know that the energy fluctuations we've been seeing are gone now. She seems to be at maximum efficiency, all systems at 100%. I can't reckon out how it happened, though. Kirk smiled hugely. Thank you, Scotty. Maybe she was just trying to get us to pay attention. Aye, sir, I wouldn't put it past her. She's a canny one, she is. Scott out. Great weariness swept over him, and Kirk wanted nothing more than to sleep. Sleep and wake up bright and early for all the fun tomorrow would bring. Probably best not to think about the captain's privilege right now. Probably best to sleep. He laid flat on his bunk and felt, as always, the comforting hum of the Enterprise. Then a thought occurred to him that was so startling, so disturbing, that he sat straight up and stared into the darkness. What was under the bed in Suzanne Brandt's cabin? The end. Yay! <laughs> you have such a wonderfully delicious, sick mind. <laughs> 
Do you think we've just driven away all the people who listen to this show? No, they left long ago. The people who would be driven away have gone long a time, long time ago. They left the building. You know, they they took the "Are you gay?" quiz, and that was the end. That was of it. it. They're gone now. I I I love this, and listening to it again, I'm I'm struck by, you know, this does have a, a basis in current day reality. It does. Kirk found an Easter egg in his ship. The designers built this thing in. They did. Just for him, for him to find it. You know, when I was writing it, I was thinking it had to be the kind of thing that the captain would have to discover. Nobody tells you about this. Mm -mm. And the only way you figure it out is if you are so involved in your ship that you know every sound, every inch of it. You just know your ship. And if you're that kind of captain, you're going to find this thing. So Scotty doesn't know about this? I don't know. I haven't made up my mind about that yet. You know what I think? I think Scotty does know about it. Yeah. I think all the engineers know about them. Yeah. And they build one in their own cabin. <laughs> they probably do. The other basis in reality this has is, okay, maybe this is a prejudice that we women have, but we honestly, honestly believe men will do anything. Oh, of course. And they'll do something really stupid like stick their dick <laughs> in machinery. Of course. Of course they will. <laughs> because guys have fucked vacuum hoses sure. just, you know, because it sucks on yeah. them. Oh, oh, I know. As, as um... Dexter Madison, one of my most favorite comedians, once said, women think that men will fuck anything that moves. But that's not true. Movement is not essential. <laughs> it's true. That's too restricting. <laughs> one of my favorite jokes. So that was a story that I wrote, and um, I, I like this story. I think it's pretty funny. I love that story. And, and I, I think I it's do, true. Yeah, you do have to think about what... What's in Suzanne Brandt's cabin? cabin? I don't know. But I know that Kirk loves his ship. He does. He loves her. More and than she loves him back because she now she's happy. She's very happy. Oh, so that's it. That's the In my mind, that's pretty much the perfect um, pairing. Yeah. Kirk and, and Enterprise. Yep. Um, I will say that there have been other stories about the Enterprise as sort of a sentient being, much mm-hmm. more so than I've done it in, in this book, and some of them have been um, really creepy and, um, and interesting, very good. Laura Jackets yeah, Valentine Laura's wrote book. a wonderful one called Dark Lady. Yeah, yeah. And it's creepy. It's it's spooky. It would be a great story to read around Halloween, but yeah. <laughs> this is this is yummy. This, this is a feel-good story. Mm-hmm. It really is. <laughs> for everybody. For everybody, yeah, for the whole family. And, well, their, f- the and their favorite machine. Yeah. So I think that that's going to be it for for this edition of um, strange sexual pairings. Oh no, wait! It's look at his butt. That's what that's right. <laughs> and and you know what? I have to say, if you like that story that I just read, you can tell me about it. If you didn't like it and you thought it was sick, don't bother sending me email about it. We know Please. it's sick. We love it. I don't need to hear that. Okay. <laughs> so uh, that's the that's Bascon. That's our Bascon. We've done our Bascon report. We'll be back next year with another one, and um, next and back week, next week. Yeah, next week with a um, I don't want to say a normal episode, but a more regular type of looking at fun stuff episode. Yep. 